everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. So we can see that right when we start at the very beginning in the Bible, it is already pointing to Jesus. And so that is the purpose of this series. But today's sermon is to set the framework for everything else. Because if you kind of look through the Bible or not even through the Bible, but through your own life experiences, I don't know if you've ever had this problem. I know that I have. I've never directly said it, but my actions prove otherwise. That there is a battle in my life for who is going to sit on the throne. Is it going to be me, Andy Peterman, the fallen sinful human being? Or am I going to put God, the ruler of it all, the ruler of our life, the ruler of this world, am I going to put God where God deserves to be? Because he calls for us to place him as number one in our life. And I believe we have to go all the way back to the beginning to really reframe our mind around who God is. Because if you would just go out on the street and maybe take a random survey and say, who is God to you? Or not even to you. I don't care who God is to you. Who is God? Then you might get a lot of random different answers. You might get, well, God is the one that created everything and then he left it to just kind of fend for itself. Or, well, God is ruler of my life. God is the one in charge. Or you might get, well, God um, is the father of Jesus who was a really good speaker, who had some really good sayings and that's about it. Or God is the author of the Bible that kind of tells me how to live my life and call it good. And so you might get a lot of these different views that really don't put God as the one in charge. And even if we do, what we see in our lives a lot of times is that battle between God. I know you're supposed to be the ruler of it all, but give me back the throne because I want to be the one in charge. I want to be God of my own life. And so we're going to go all the way back to the very beginning to see where God should be put. And you've probably read Genesis 1 multiple times. That's the account of creation. But my goal here is to, again, reframe our minds so that we give God the throne, which he rightfully deserves. In Exodus chapter 20, verse 3, God says in his very first commandment is, you shall have no other God before me. That means my life should not be a God before God. That means my desires should not be placed before God's will. That means anything, TV, social media, social status, society, anything like that should not take the place of number one in our life. And then later on, God says, for I am a jealous God. I want all of you. I want every aspect of you. And hopefully we realize it's not just uh, saying a statement to God. Hopefully we realize it's not just coming forward and being like, hey, I believe that Jesus is Christ, the son of the living God and my personal savior. I got a bath and now I'm good to go. But Jesus says over and over that we not only profess, but we live a life for him. Because just saying, hey, God, you're God and I'm not but I'm going to live like I'm God. And so I'm not going to obey you. I'm not going to abide in you. Uh, Dennis read John chapter three, verse 16. And I noticed I had later on highlighted in my Bible, John chapter three, verse, let me find it real quick. 36, where Jesus said, whoever believes in the son has eternal life. Amen. Whoever does not obey the son shall not see life, but the wrath of God remains on him. And so it's not just a belief, but it is a giving our life over to God. 
You read through the book of John, the Apostle John, not only in his, uh, his apostle or his gospel, the gospel of John, but also in his first letter of 1 John. Over and over, you're going to see the word abide. That his word should abide in us and that we should abide in him. And that word abide means live in him. Means it should be what consumes us, what fills us. It should be who we are. That if we are abiding in something, we are living there constantly. And so if we give our life over to Christ, it's not just a, hey, Jesus, yes, I professed and now I'm good. It is a, hey, Jesus, you are Lord of my life. You call the shots. Your word is truth. John 17, 17, Jesus says, sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. And so we're going to reframe that by putting God back on the pedestal where he deserves to be, which is number one in our life. The number one thing he calls the shots. He is God and we will have no other gods before him. But the question might be that, again, we don't really ask this verbally because it seems wrong to ask it. But the question that we might be asking is, why does God get to call the shots? I mean, really, whenever somebody's trying to tell you what to do, that is a common question. But why? Why, mom and dad, do I have to take out the laundry? Why do I have to make the bed when I'm just going to get back in the bed later on tonight? And I really like how, uh, un, how comfortable sheets just thrown all over the place really are. And uh, not from personal experience or anything on that one. But it's just like, you know, like we are a people that asks why. If you're a Looney Tunes fan... Maybe you know the little girl, I think it was Looney Tunes, and she'd always come walking up and she'd be like, what are you doing? And they'd say, well, you know, I'm making a sandwich. Why? Well, because I'm hungry. Why? Well, because my stomach needs food. Why? Well, because that's how it is. Why? Like she constantly says why. And finally she's like, okay, bye-bye. I love you. And she just walks off. But we like to ask that question over and over. Why, God, why? Why do I have to forgive? Why do I have to obey your word? Why can't I just say, Jesus, you're Lord, and live my life how I want? Why, God, why? And so we're going to answer that question this morning as we are in Genesis chapter 1. And so if you'll join me, we're going to go ahead, go to God in prayer, and open up this sermon. Because we need him to speak to us. Father God, you are so good. God, you are, um, yeah, good. That's the best word I can come up with right now, God. You are good. May we see your goodness this morning. God, reveal yourself to us so that we can put you where you deserve and belong to be. And that is Lord and ruler of our lives. God, may we not just be professing people, but may we be obedient people. God, may we be people who give you our heart, who give you our soul, our mind, our strength. May we love you more than anything else. And so God, I pray this morning as we open up your word and dive into what it has to say, show us who you are so that we can put you where you belong. But God, we're going to need you to tear down our idols. We're going to need you to tear down our pride and to tear down um, everything that is going to want to take that place. And so God, I ask, do that this morning so that you can claim Lord of our lives. And it is in the name of Jesus that we pray this. Amen. So we're going to start Genesis chapter 1, verse 1. In the beginning, God. We're going to stop right there. So we're going to get through the whole chapter this morning at this pace. So just buckle up. 
I will have a potluck luncheon at some point today, maybe tomorrow morning, I don't know. But uh, Genesis, I'm kidding. Genesis 1-1, in the beginning, God, and we're going to stop there. Because this, these four words tell us so much. In the beginning, well, in the beginning of what? Everything. Like our mind can't really fathom this. Like a lot of times we ask the question, okay, before God there was, and it's God. Like there was nothing before God. God was there in the beginning. Before anything else, there was God. It's like the the famous question that people always ask, which came first, the chicken or the egg? The answer is God. Like he came before it all. He was in the beginning. God came first. This is pivotal. That before the earth, there was God. Before there was you, there was God. Before there was matter, there was God. There wasn't this matter that then morphed into a sludge, that morphed into, uh, I don't even know where their mind tracks after that, but eventually people came around and we were like, hey, there must be a God out there. No, God was in the very beginning before it all began. I want you to grasp that. The very first thing that ever existed was God. Because the created does not get to tell the creator how things work. And we need to grasp that. That we are the created, not the creator. So what does this mean though? Okay, God was before everything. Great. Well, let's keep going on. It means that God created everything. And it's not like if I were to, like, I'm going to do a house project here in a little bit and I struggle with like getting them completed. And it's not like I'm like, poof, there is a fully rebuilt house. But no, I have to take my time. I have to work on it. I have to smash my thumb a couple times, get angry, do a little destruction to make some reconstruction. But God spoke and it happened. Like that's his power. That's how amazing God is. He said a word and it happened. Genesis 1 verse 3, and God said, God said, let there be light. And poof, there was light. Genesis 1 6, God said, let there be an expanse in the midst of the waters and let it separate the waters from the waters. Again, God spoke. Genesis 1 9, God said, let the waters under the heavens be gathered into one place and let dry land appear. Genesis 1.11, God said, let the earth sprout vegetation plants yielding seed and fruit trees bearing fruit in which is their seed according to its own kind on the earth. Genesis 1.14-15, God said, let there be lights in the expanse of the heavens to separate the day from the night and let them be for signs and for seasons for days and years and let them be lights in the expanse of the heavens to give light upon the earth. And it was so. Genesis 1.20, God said, let the water swarm with the living creatures and let birds fly above the earth and across the expanse of the heavens. Genesis 1, 24 and 26. God said, let the earth bring forth living creatures according to their kinds, livestock and creeping things and beasts of the earth according to their kinds. And it was so. 
And then verse 26, God said, let us make man in our own image after our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creepy thing, creeping, not creepy, creeping thing that creeps on the earth. Some of the creations have turned a little creepy though, like not going to mention snakes and spiders and all that stuff, like creepy stuff, but creeping. But God spoke and these things happened. Like, again, we got to realize this, that like that is the power of God. He created it all. It did not come from some cosmic accident. It did not happen over a long period of time. But when I read this, it is a literal God spoke and it happened a literal six days because that's who God is. That is the power that God has. That he can just speak it. It's not like he has to like work on it and it like, oh man, it's going to take me 3,000 years just to make this ball out of dirt and I'm going to have to do, no, like God spoke and it happened. Simply by the voice, words of his voice, it happened. This is the power of God. And so God created it all. Okay, we see that. God was in the beginning. God created it all. But now there is an implication that comes from this. Because if we're going to agree that God is the creator of it all, then we're also going to agree that God is ruler of it all. That God is, as the title of uh, our bulletin says, God is sovereign. God is king. God is creator. God is ruler. God is Lord. I mean... Keep filling in the blanks. It's like God is higher than your parents. God is higher than the government. God is higher than your own personal desires. God is on the throne. And we must realize that because it changes how we view our circumstances. Because when we're going through difficult times and we are told in this world, you will have trouble. When we're going through those difficult times, we must remember, God, you're on the throne. Because I'll be honest, every time difficulty comes my way, the very first thing I want to do is make myself God and be like, nope, not dealing with that. Let's run this way. Whereas God's word tells us otherwise, and we submit and obey God's word. Because as we talked about a couple weeks ago, this was not created for us. I mean, we want to have a human-centric view where it's like, oh, God created that tree for me. God created the plants for me, the steak for me. He created it all for me because God loves me. And it's like, that's not the entire truth. Yes, God loves you. But God wants to be glorified through it all. He gave us all of that so that we return everything back to praise. So much so that God said, or Paul tells us, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. The the prophet Isaiah said in Isaiah 64 verse 8, But now, O Lord, you are our father. We're the clay and you are the potter. We are all the work of your hand. And then I believe it's in Romans chapter 9 where uh, Paul ends up saying, where does the clay have the, right to the say to, have the right to say to the potter, why are you making me like this? Because we are the clay. We are the subjects to God, which is so countercultural in today's society. Because we want to be the center of it all. We want it all to be about us, but it's not. And the sooner we can realize, God, this is for your glory, the sooner things are going to start falling into place a little better. Because we're not going to be waging that war against God. 
So we are created for God's glory regardless of what we go through. And so it means that difficulties take on a whole new view. Paul is able to say to his writers in Philippians when he's in jail, hey, rejoice in all circumstances. I'm going to say it again, rejoice. James is able to tell his writers or readers in James 1-2, consider it pure joy whenever you face trials of various kinds. And so over and over, you're able to see that we can take hard situations. Jesus said in the gospel or in the Sermon on the Mount, blessed are those who are persecuted for my name's sake. So we can take these hard, difficult situations and always turn them back to the glory of God. Romans eight twenty eight. we know that in all these things, God works for the good of those who are called according to his purpose. And so we can take everything, even our hard times, and say, God, this is for your glory. So I don't know how you're going to turn this out for the good, but I'm going to submit to you. I'm going to abide in your word, and I am going to trust you. And my attitude is going to be glorifying to you. And so when we realize that God is the creator, we realize God gets to call the shots. We realize God gets to be Lord of everything. He gets to say it all. Isaiah 55, 8 through 9. We're told, my thoughts, this is talking about God. He's speaking. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts your thoughts. And he's not just talking about like, you know, five miles up. That's how much higher God's thoughts are than my thoughts. It's like go way to the end of the galaxy, which is like 64 billion light years away. And we still have not reached how much higher God's thoughts and God's ways are than our ways. Like we must realize that he is in control. We must learn that there is this mystery of living for God. And we embrace it. And it's like, God, like, I'm going to obey through faith. If you knew every single thing that was going to happen, it's not faith anymore. Because it's like, okay, God, before I step over here, like Peter, like, all right, God, um, you're calling me out onto the water. Uh, I need to know, am I going to sink or swim first? Like, what's going to happen? Am I going to walk on it? That's not faith. Whereas Peter's just like, hey, Jesus, call me out there. And Jesus calls him out and he's like, sweet, I believe, I have faith in you. I'm going to obey regardless. I don't know if I'm going to sink, but I trust you, Jesus. So I'm going to come and follow you. We live by faith and we obey in faith. So just like the child that keeps asking why, 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 we do that all the time. Why, God? Why must I do this? Why is this going on? Why? And it's okay to ask questions. But we must have faith. God, even if I knew the answer to this, you're God and I'm not. I will submit to you. Job, he dealt with this as he was going through his distress. I mean, just jump over to Job chapter 38, where Job has been like, I I don't really know why this is going on. I have been righteous through all of this. I don't know why I'm suffering through all of this, but... Uh, God responds to him in Job chapter 38, starting in verse four. God says, where were you when I laid the foundation of the earth? Job, you weren't even created like nobody was. There was nothing. And then there was the foundations of the earth and then man and the beast came later. And then verse eight through 11, 
Or who shut the sea? Who shut in the sea with doors when it burst out from the womb? When I made clouds, its garment and thick darkness, its swaddling band and prescribed limits for it and set bars and doors and said, thus far shall you come and no farther. And here shall your proud waves be stayed. Then look at verse 31. Can you bind the chains of Pleiades or loose the cords of Orion? Jump over to 35. Can you send forth lightnings that they may go and say to you, here we are? Chapter 39, verse 19 through 20. Do you give the horse his might? Do you clothe his neck with a mane? Do you make him leap like the locust? His majestic snorting is terrifying. And then verse 41, verse 1. Chapter 41, verse 1. Can you draw out Leviathan with a fish hook or press down his tongue with a cord? It's like, hey, Job, can you do any of this stuff? And when we really read that, it should be humbling. It's like, no, I can't do one of those things. I can't do any of that, God. And God's like, I can. And so I should be glorified. Job's response in chapter 42, verse 2, he says, this is what he says. He says, I know that you can do all things and that no purpose of yours can be thwarted. Like, God, okay, I see what you're saying. You can do everything. And so, God, I trust you. I'm going to place my faith in you. This is the only natural response when we realize all this to have towards it all. That God, you're God and I'm not. And so I'm going to live as you being God and ruler of my life. When we truly realize how powerful, how majestic, how amazing God is, the response is that he is to be praised. Isaiah 40, verse 25 through 26. Isaiah says, to whom, or this is God, to whom then will you compare me? That I should be like him, says the Holy One. Lift up your eyes on high and see. Who created these? He who brings out their hosts by number, calling them all by name, by the greatness of his might, and because he is strong in power, not one is missing. Isaiah verse 40, or chapter 40, verse 12, we are told that God measures the span of the universe with his hand. I mean the span, like from pinky to thumb when it's spread out, you have the whole universe in that spread on God. And we, like, I don't even think a microscope would see where we are. We are that small and God is that big. I mean, he is huge. Like we have only been able to see like 64 billion light years away. And I don't even know what's beyond that. Probably those creepy things that were created. I don't know. But I believe that God is out there and that he is holding us all. And he is saying, I am to be praised. Isaiah 45 verse 9 because we are the clay, he is the potter. And so he says, woe to him who strives with him who formed him. A pot among earthen pots. Does the clay say to him who forms it, what are you making? Or your work has no handles. I mean, just play this out real quick. If you were to build something up, so say you, you had spent time, you drew up the floor plan, say you were building a house, and you drew up the floor plans and you got it exactly how you wanted it, you looked over every detail, you had it built, it's wonderful, you love it, and somebody came into your house and they said, mm -mm -mm, you didn't do that right. Mm, that wall color, ugly. 
Like, mm, why did you put the sink right there? Why did you put a bathroom right there? Why, why did you, I mean, you'd probably be like, get out of my house. We're done. I don't need your talk back. You didn't build this. I built it. Yeah, we'd be insulted. How much more do we do that to God? When he created it all and we're like, <laughs> why God? Why are you doing this? Why is this happening? Why am I like this? Why, why, why? We're told in Romans chapter 1, verse 22 and 23. Because actually I'm going to skip back a little bit. Romans chapter 1, verse 20. We are told that all creation shows us God. The invisible attributes, his eternal power and divine nature have all been clearly perceived since creation. And in the things that have been made, so therefore no one is without excuse. And then in chapter tw- or verse 22 through 23, Paul says, claiming to be wise, they were foolish. They exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man, birds, animals. And again, there's those creeping things. And it's like, man, here we see, we look at creation and it's like, man, there's got to be a creator out of that. I mean, like there has got to be a creator. And then it's like, here, I'm going to build something. You are God. And it's like, that's so dumb. But we do that all the time. Anytime we say, God, no, you're not God. I'm God. I'm going to do what I want. We're pretty much saying, look at what I built. I'm so good. You're not God. And then in verse 25, it says they exchanged the truth of God for a lie and they worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator. I mean, it'd be like you um, being a parent, giving your kid a toy and they're like, oh, this toy is so amazing. I love this toy and totally forgetting about you. And you're like, wait a minute. I'm the one that worked hard. I'm the one that like gave that to you. Like I gave that so that you would love me. But instead, it's like, no, I love this toy. Mom and dad, forget about you. I mean, again, we never say those words, but our attitudes and our actions do that to God. And so when we do, when we uh, like turn from God, when we go to these created things instead of the creator, God would be totally justified if he wiped us all off the face of the earth. I mean, he did it to all but eight one time, and then he promised, I'm not going to do that again. But instead, I'm going to prepare a way for them to be in relationship with me because that is what God desired. He wanted to be in relationship with us. He wanted to be loved and to love us. We're not robots, which a lot of times is really difficult because like robots would be a lot less stress. But it's like, man, he gave us free will. He gave us a choice because he wanted to be loved again for his glory. But when we sinned, it put a gap between us. It separated us from God to where God cannot be in the presence of sin. And so just think about this. Like God's wanting to be in relationship with us. We sin, we fall short. Like we can't even blame Adam and Eve. It's our fault too. Like nobody's lived a perfect life. And so what God did is he, at the very beginning, had Jesus with him. We see this in John 1, 1 through 4. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the, excuse me, was, and the life was the light of men. 
And so Jesus is there all the way at the beginning. Jesus sees the heartache that's happening as man is continually rebelling against God, turning their back against God. So Jesus has lived in perfect harmony with God this whole time. And then it's like we've got to make a way for them to be with us. Like we want relationship. Like we tried building a temple and living among the people, but that wasn't working. Like there, we couldn't have relationship with everybody. So a price needs to be paid. So Jesus said, let me give my life so that we can have relationship with him. Even we who rejected him. John chapter 1 verse 11. It says, he came to his own and his own people did not receive him. Jesus came so that he could be in relationship with us and yet we still rejected him. And so what we do is we take on the same mindset of God, of Jesus. Because Jesus in Philippians 2, 5 through 11, it says, Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but instead he emptied himself. By taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father." And so Christ created us all, and then he was like, I am going to empty myself, become like them, so that I can live the perfect life, give the perfect sacrifice, so that we now, imperfect, could have relationship with him. And yet we reject him still, and we fall short again and again. But we're called to take on the mindset of Christ. And in a... In Philippians, it said, Had, have this mind among you. And so we live in humility. Because again, I believe the biggest um, sin against God is pride. I believe that from pride stems pretty much every other sin there is. Because again, there's that battle of I'm God. No, God is God. No, I'm God. And pride puts us on the pedestal. So we must live in humility and put the will of God first because he is God. John chapter 1 verse 12 through 13, it says that there is a hell to pay for not receiving Christ though. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. So we receive Christ and we have that life. We have that eternity. We give our lives over to him because he made the way for us to be connected to him because he's God. He's creator of it all, but he doesn't say, I want you to profess in me, but not make me Lord. He says, I want you to make me Lord and ruler of it all. Jesus is talking um, to his disciples and he says, nobody just starts to build a house without considering the cost. And so the truth is not everybody is going to receive Jesus. Even though it is that simple to just say, Jesus, you are Lord and I'm going to make you ruler of my life. The truth is not everybody's going to receive Jesus. But to those who do, Jesus says, consider the cost. Are you willing to give up everything? Jesus says, are you willing to hate your brother, your mother, your father, your sister, your wife, even your own life? 
Are you willing to do that? Because that's what it's going to cost to follow me. Because Jesus wants sold out individuals living for him. He doesn't want people just professing and not living their lives for him. And so God paved the way for us to be connected to him. But the cool thing is, is that the the Bible starts in Genesis 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, and God spoke this into existence. And I love the way the Bible ends as well. Because for those who do believe in Jesus, for those who do receive him, he is creating a new heaven and a new earth, a new world for us. Revelation chapter 21, verse 2 through 4. John says, I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. I am ready for that day. He will dwell with them and they will be his people and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning nor crying nor pain anymore for the former things have passed away. That is a place that is waiting for us. Jesus is going to come back and he's going to say, hey, those who are with me, come home and join me. I have prepared this home for you. The way we get that is to receive Christ, to confess. And we're told in Romans chapter 10, verse 9 through 10, because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart. And again, that's not just a belief. Like I believe that uh, there's oxygen in the air. It is like this is going to change and transform your life. I believe that he, that God raised him from the dead. You will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. And so that is how you receive this eternal life. By confessing that Jesus is Lord, and by believing in your heart that God raised him from the dead, and then walking in obedience, but that's after. You walk in obedience as you grow, as you abide, as you live with Christ. And again, his desire for us is to abide in him daily. John 14, one through six, let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. In my father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and I will take you to myself that where I am, you may also be. And you know the way to where I am going. Thomas said to him, Lord, We do not know where you are going. How can we know the way? Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. That new heaven and that new earth sounds wonderful. I am so ready to be there. Because the dwelling place of God will be among man. And it comes through Jesus. As he just said, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Not through your hard work. Not by putting yourself on the throne. But by saying, God, you are God. And letting your life just reflect that. But submitting to him. Giving your life over to him. It is that simple. But we make it so hard and so difficult. Because we want the pride. We want the attention, the fame, the glory, whatever it is. And Jesus just says, come to me and I will give you rest. Come to me and I will give you my yoke, which is easy and my burden, which is light. Come to me and I have done it all. I just ask you to live for me. 
And so my question is, is God actually God of your life? If somebody came up to you and said, who's God? What would your honest answer be? Would you be like, uh, that's a really weird question to be asked all of a sudden on the side of the road. We should be ready. Always be prepared to give a defense for the hope that you have. Who is God in your life? Well, he created everything. Okay, cool. Is he Lord? Is he ruler of all? Is he, when this word speaks, the one that you obey? Or are you like, why? I don't think I want to do that one. Then he's not God. He's just a guy who's giving you good counsel until you say, God, your word is truth and I'm going to be obedient to it. That is when we truly say, God, you are ruler of my life. So we're going to close with a prayer and Kurt's going to come forward. And the invitation is the same every single week. That if God is working on your heart and you're like, man, God, I have not made you Lord of my life. Then now here in this moment is the time to start. And then if it's like, man, God, I have not been obedient in this area, or God, I need help in this area, or God, I want to give my life over to you, then we provide this time for people to respond to whatever it is that God is placing on your heart. So I just want to pray over everybody, and then Kurt's going to come forward and lead us in a song. So Father God, can we just put you on the throne that you are at, God? Again, I just pray, remove the idols that we have created. Be it that ourselves, be it whatever it is, God, humble us. It's a scary thing to be humbled, but God, may we trust that you are truly good and that you are ruler of it all and that we can trust you. So God, for those who have a faith, I pray strengthen it all the more so that we can claim you as ruler of our life. God, for those who have just been professing and not actually living for you, God, grab a hold of their lives. Show them that you are worthy and that you are deserving to be on the throne of their lives. And God, I just pray more and more every single day, God, sanctify us in your truth. Your word is truth. So God, may we submit to what you have to say in everything. And it's in the name of Jesus that we pray this.